Well, good morning, and today we are glad that you're here as we bring this series called I'm Struggling uh, to a close. And just to rehearse where we've been so far, in the very first message we talked about struggling with anxiety. And uh, then the next week we talked about struggling with addiction. And by the way, all of these messages are online. Uh, you can watch them again or listen to the podcast at mountairybaptist.com. Last Sunday we started talking about de- struggling with depression. Today we're going to finish that message about talking, or talking about struggling with depression. And then tonight we'll end the series as we talk about struggling with grief. Now I want to show you a picture uh, online that I, you may have seen in the news. It's a pretty amazing picture. And if you haven't seen it, let me explain to you what you're looking at. Early on Tuesday morning, April the 24th, in downtown Detroit, uh, the, the police received a call that there was a man in downtown Detroit threatening to kill himself by jumping off an overpass above Interstate 696. Local law, uh, law enforcement ran to the scene. They began to uh, stop the traffic eastbound and westbound. They stopped all the traffic. It was in the middle of the night. And then somebody came up with the idea, let's ask some of the truckers to let them through and come park under the bridge. So just after 1, one o'clock in the morning, the Michigan police began to flag down the passing semi-trucks and 18-wheelers and, and ask them to park under the bridge. And they did, one after another after another, eastbound lane, westbound lane. Thirteen big rig truck drivers remained in place under that overpass to shorten the fall should the guy jump. They didn't know him from Adam, but they knew that his life was worth something. And so they parked their big rig under that overpass. While most of America was sleeping, they sat in their rigs for two to three hours while the police worked with him and talked to him and eventually got him to come off of the bridge. He had given up on life, but a group of truckers who didn't even know him said, we're not giving up on you. When I saw that picture, I thought that really is a picture of the way God works. Sometimes we're on the bridge and we've given up on life. We're, we're wrestling with all kinds of hard decisions. Should we keep going? What are we going to do? And I just want you to know that though you have given up on life, perhaps, God's not given up on you. And I say that because of what I read last week in the story of Elijah. It's in 1 Kings 19, if you want to open your Bibles to 1 Kings 19. Last week we looked at a depressed prophet named Elijah. Now listen to that, he's not just a prophet. He's a depressed prophet named Elijah. And he finds himself struggling with life itself, wanting to give up on life. But in the darkness of the cave that he was in, he found out that God had not given up on him. Now, I told you last week that depression is, is, has been called the common cold of emotional illness because eventually it touches everybody. Eventually, in one way or another, uh, depression is no respecter of persons, regardless of age or background or race or geographic or social condition. It eventually touches everyone. So last week we looked at two major truths about depression that I wanted to make sure you get. And I just want to rehearse them in case you were not here last Sunday and to remind all of us. The first thing was this. Look at number one. Being, a depressed, being depressed doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian. Do God's people get depressed? Of course they do. They always have. And we looked at lots of Scripture last Sunday from some of the heroes of the Bible, spiritual heroes in the Bible who literally suffered from depression. Spiritual giants of the Bible that God used greatly, yet they greatly suffered 
from depression. The second thing we talked about last Sunday was this. Depression is a feeling and not a life sentence. I know for some of you, perhaps depression has been a struggle for you for years. I understand that, and I'm not trying to make light of what you're going through. But the enemy says you're always going to be this way. The enemy says your life will never change. And depression can be so dark that death looks like a better alternative. But as I told you last Sunday, knowing God should give you an advantage, shouldn't it? Knowing the one who created life should give you an advantage. God can lift the fog of depression out of your life. And so we talked, the third thing we looked at last Sunday was this. In the middle of your pain, God is still present. And this is where we pick up the story in 1 Kings 19. And remember, this is the story of Elijah, and and he's running from Mount Carmel down to Beersheba, and he goes a day's journey into the desert. Then he goes 40 days and 40 nights alone until he reaches Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, also known as Mount Sinai. And when he gets into that cave, he's been traveling by himself, watch this, 41 days. He's been alone, 41 days, walking across the desert, 41 days alone. There was not a person on the planet who knew where he was. But there was a God in heaven who knew exactly where he was. And when he comes into that cave, he hears the voice of God. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 9, 1 Kings 19, 9. What are you doing here, Elijah? And we said last Sunday that God's not forgotten about you. He knows that you're hurting. He knows that you're struggling. He knows the depression you're going through. And he knows where you are. Now, Have you ever thought about how long Elijah was depressed? I started kind of doing a little timeline as I worked my way through the Scripture. Just walk with me real quick. Verse 3. We said that he went from Mount Carmel down to Beersheba. And if he walked 25 miles a day, that's a journey of about 115 miles, roughly speaking, and from north to south, about 115 miles. If he walked 25 miles a day, you know, it took him four or five days probably to get there. Let's say he walked 30 miles a day, give him credit, and he got there in, let's say, in four days. So that's four days he's depressed, and each day that he walked, his depression was getting worse and worse because when he left, he was running for his life, and when he got to Beersheba, he was praying, saying, God, I've had enough, take my life. So his depression was deepening as he was walking. But let's say he was depressed for those four days. Then he goes a day's journey uh, by himself into the desert. That's five days. Then he goes 40 days and nights so he gets to Mount, uh, to Mount Sinai, the Horeb uh, mountain of God. So that's 45 days that he's depressed. Now the reason I bring that up is because some of you think, man, I ought to be over this. You know, it shouldn't go this long. Did you know that clinical, well, clinical depression or how, what's it referred to? Major depressive disorder, the way that they diagnose that, major depressive disorder is when you've had the symptoms of depression for at least two weeks. That if you exhibit these symptoms ongoing every day for two weeks, you could be diagnosed as depressed. Elijah has the symptoms of depression three times that long. For six weeks, for a month and a half, he's struggling with depression. So if you're dealing with it for a long time, you're in good company. Elijah had two. So how do we we find our way out of it? We said... First of all, in the middle of your depression, God is still present. And then number four, we just pick it up and take off. Number four, give your frustrations to God. Let's go back to the text. Go back to verse 9. 
and God has a question. There he went into a cave and he spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? It's, an inquest, it's a question that implies that Elijah had come to Mount Horeb by his own misguided reasons. It was not because the Lord had sent him there. What are you doing here, Elijah? Have you ever noticed that whenever God asks questions in the Bible, he always knows the answer, but he tends to ask a lot of questions in the Bible that he knows the answer to? Uh, have you ever thought about this? He asked Adam, Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was. He asked Cain, where is your brother Abel? He knew already that Abel was dead when he asked the question. He asked Moses, what's that in your hand, Moses? He could see what was in Moses' hand. He asked Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? He knew why he was there. The angel of God had given him provisions 40 days prior to that. He knew exactly why he was there. So why did God ask this question? What are you doing here, Elijah? Everybody look up here. I want to tell you something. This is theory. I want to acknowledge this is theory somewhat. But I think it's based on Scripture. I believe one of the reasons, at least, that God asked him, what are you doing here, was to give Elijah an opportunity to vent. I'll show you that in a second. Let me ask you this. Have you ever, had, have you ever been frustrated? Have you ever been angry? Have you ever been just, just in knots, and when you got home, you just unloaded? And, and then you just had to vent, right? You just had to tell somebody. At least, and I've done that to her. It's like, and then I, after I've kind of dumped it all, it's like, honey, I'm sorry. I'm not mad at you. I just had to vent. Anybody else ever done that? Raise your hand so I'll make sure I'm not alone. All right, I'm preaching to the right crowd. That's good. The rest of you don't put your hands up. God will forgive you for lying. Look what he does. Look how God asked him, what are you doing here? And I want you to notice the response. He replied, Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Underlying that, now they're trying to kill me too. I read a statement a few weeks ago that grabbed my attention that said, just because you aren't paranoid doesn't mean they aren't out to get you. <laughs> I like that. Remember that. Several weeks ago when I was studying this passage and I was reading about Elijah venting, I was reading this where he just vents, where Israel has turned, they've rejected your covenant, they've broken your altars, they've put the prophets to death, and I'm the only one left. He's just venting his frustration. He's venting his fear. He's venting his anger. He's venting his depression. And then all of a sudden it hit me what God was doing during all this. God listened. God listened. God listened to this defeated, dejected, depressed prophet as he poured out his feelings of anger and bitterness and self-pity. And in fact, he did it twice. Look at verse 13. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, and here he goes again, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Isn't it amazing that God not only listened, He listened to Him twice. The sovereign God of the universe was listening to this de discouraged, defeated, depressed prophet and let him pour out his pain. Here's what God didn't say. God didn't say to him, I ain't got time for this. Well, I got things I got to do. 
God didn't say. Now listen, if you were a good prophet, you wouldn't talk like that. God didn't say, I'm ashamed and embarrassed of the way that you're dealing with this. As Elijah had his pity party and as he poured out his anger and his bitterness and his frustration, not once but twice, God Almighty listened to him. Did you know that God would do that for you too? Did you know that in the midst of your depression that God will listen to you as you give your, your complaints? In the midst of your depression, God will listen to you as you're angry and frustrated and scared. Do you realize that Almighty God, creator of everything, is willing simply to listen to you? And the reason I say that, the reason I know that, is because of another verse in Scripture. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to it. Psalm 62.8 says, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. The psalmist said you can pour out your heart to him. God lovingly listened to Elijah, and he will lovingly do the same for you. So when you feel emotionally fried and spiritually discouraged, Almighty God is willing just to listen. Pour out your heart to him. It's one of the steps out of the darkness of depression is that you've got to talk to God and pour out your heart to him. He wants to listen. Listen, 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 listen. That's how much he cares for you. Number, four, number five, look at this. Recognize that God hasn't changed. I love this part of the text. It's interesting that Elijah describes himself as very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. He does, it, he does it in verse 10, and he does it in verse 14. He describes himself. He tells God, I've been very zealous for you, by the way. My guess is some of you know that feeling. You were zealous for God, very involved in serving Him, very dedicated to what He called you to do, but all of that is just a memory now. Now you're ready to call it quits. Now you're discouraged and defeated. Emotionally, perhaps you're burned out. Spiritually, you're dried up. There's a deep sense of failure and disappointment in your spirit. You know what you need? You might need the same thing that Elijah needed. A reminder, a fresh awareness. That he's still God. Let me show you how this happened. Look at verse 11. Get your Bibles. This is going to get good. The Lord said to him, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful what? Wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. You know that had to be a loud time, right? The wind is howling and blowing. The rocks are shattering and falling very noisy kind of a time, but the Lord was not in the wind. And, and after the wind, there was an earthquake. That had to be scary. The ground under your feet is shaking, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. That had to be amazing, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a what? Not just a whisper, but a Gentle whisper. Gentle whisper. Theologians call these theophanies. It simply means the manifestation of God. In the Bible, there are times where God will do something dramatic to manifest His presence. He'll do something dramatic to manifest His power. It's a theophany is the theological term. Now, here's the interesting thing. Elijah had already seen a theophany on Mount Carmel. 
Remember, fire fell from heaven. He had already seen God demonstrate His power on Mount Carmel. He had already seen God demonstrate His presence on Mount Carmel. There was a theophany already on Mount Carmel when the fire came from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. So why this display? I think God was saying to Elijah, you may be frazzled and you may be afraid and you may be ready to quit, but I just want you to know something. I'm still who I was at Mount Carmel. I haven't changed. I'm still God. I haven't changed. And I know you've changed, Elijah, and I know you're in the depths of your depression and the darkness of it all. And you're not the man you were in chapter 18. You're not the man you were on the top of Mount Carmel. I still want you to know I'm still the God I was when you're on top of Mount Carmel. He's still God. God hasn't changed. In fact, I'd like for you to say this out loud with me. God hasn't changed. Say it out loud. Oh, you did that so much better than the first crowd. God hasn't changed. When you're hurting, when you're struggling, when you're defeated and when you're ready to quit, when you even wonder where God is, you need to say out loud, God hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. And you need to keep preaching that to yourself. God hasn't changed. Your circumstances may have changed. God hasn't changed. Number six, trying to get out of depression, realize how close God is to you. After this dramatic display of power, there was, and we looked at it in verse 12, there, after the fire came a gentle whisper. Elijah heard it. He stepped out of the cave, and the Bible says, and he, he met with the Lord there. He went out of the cave to meet with the Lord. A gentle whisper. Here's what I need you to do. Why did God whisper? Here's what I need you to do. I need you to help me with something. Why did God whisper? I need you to help me with this. Turn to somebody near you and whisper, what are you doing here? All right, do that right now. Just turn to somebody near you and whisper, what are you doing here? Now, did you get it, Jim? Could you hear? Hey, do you understand what that represents? You don't whisper to somebody in the back of the room. You don't whisper to somebody outside. You whisper to Did you hear my instructions? Turn to somebody near you and whisper. Because when somebody is near you, that's the only time you can whisper to them. They have to be near you in order to whisper. And when Elijah was in this cave, all of a sudden God came to him not with fire. God came to him not in the earthquake. God came to him not with a great wind. God came to him in a whisper. God was close to him. God was near him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Please understand something. Please understand what Psalmist wrote in Psalm 34, 18. He said, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Karen sang about that today. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. 
Here's what this means to you and me. If you're a believer and you're struggling with depression, God hasn't forgotten or abandoned you. He is close to you. Do you remember the psalm that you probably have already memorized? Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are, say it with me, you are what? Now you're with me. You're with me. You are with me. And if you are depressed, you desperately need to be reminded of that, don't you? You are with me. That's why he whispered to Elijah. He was close to him. Remind yourself again and again and again if you need to. God is near. Number seven, if you're getting out of depression, here's this, the next thing. Gain a new direction for your life. Elijah had nothing new to say to the Lord. The Lord asked him, what are you doing here? Both times he said the same thing. But the Lord had something new to say to him in verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way that you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Haziel, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, uh, king over Israel. And anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat, uh, from Abel. And I can't say that next word. I, I messed it up this morning. I'm not even going to try. How would you say that? That's good for me. And appoint him to succeed you as prophet. Please understand something. God allowed Elijah to sit in the dark cave of self-pity only so long. Then he told him to get up and get busy again. There was a new king that needed to be anointed. There was a new prophet that needed to be anointed. There were some people out there who needed him. It's time for you to get out of the dark cave. There are some people out there who need you. I've got something for you to do, Elijah. It's time for you to leave here and get back to what you were doing. God knew that Elijah needed the tonic of a new task. And sometimes the best way to quit feeling sorry for ourselves is to start feeling compassion for somebody else. Sometimes the best way out of our depression is to stop looking at our depression and start looking at others we could help. So God said, here, here's what I, I need you to go back where you came from. Go back the way that you came. And there's some people out there that I need you to go see. There's, I need you to go see this king. I need you to go see this young man. And anoint the king and anoint that young man, Elisha. I've got something for you to do still. The great psychiatrist Carl Menninger was once asked by an Arizona newspaper, said, uh, Dr. Menninger, suppose that you think you're headed for a nervous breakdown. What should you do? You would expect that the great psychiatrist psychiatrist would say, well, if you're heading for a nervous breakdown, go see a psychiatrist. But that's not what he said. Instead, he said, go straight to the front door, turn the knob, cross the tracks, and find somebody who needs you. That's what you do. You're about to have a nervous breakdown? Go look for somebody that needs you. That's what God did for Elijah. There's a guy out there that needs you. Go anoint him king. There's another young man that needs you. Go anoint him as a prophet. Get out of this cave and go find those guys need you. Somebody put it this way, if you want to see the fog of depression lifted, quit looking in the mirror and start looking out the window. I like that. Quit looking in the mirror, how defeated you are and how bad everything is. Quit looking at the mirror and start looking out the window. God, what do you have for me to do? But sometimes here's the problem. We think, well, Keith, how could God ever use me? How could it, or maybe the question would be, how could God ever use me again? You know, because I, I've 
I've let him down and I'm so disgusted with myself and I feel so defeated and so discouraged. In fact, I'm embarrassed by the way I've been living and the things I've been feeling. And How could God ever use me again if I've disappointed Him so? I want you to listen to something here. You might be discouraged, you might be depressed, but you haven't disappointed God. You know why? In order to disappoint somebody, you have to surprise them. You have to surprise them that you did or didn't do what they were expecting. In order to disappoint somebody, you, they're surprised at your response. They're surprised at what you did. Listen to me. God's never been surprised by anything. God knows everything. So He can't be disappointed because you, because you are depressed. No, He knew you were going to get depressed. He knew that you're struggling with this darkness. He knows everything about you, and He loves you anyway, and He can use you even still. And you know how I know that? Because when I look at the life of Elijah, do you remember or do you even know how his story ends? Think about Elijah in chapter, 1 Kings 19. He's in this dark cave of misery. He's in this dark cave of depression. Do you know how his story ends? I bet in the dark cave he could never imagine what God was still going to do in his life. In that dark cave of depression, he could never imagine the plans that God had to, to do or God had in store for him. He was so focused on his misery, he could never imagine the ministry God still had for him. But can I tell you how his life ended? He closed out his ministry this way. I'd love to close out my ministry this way. Here's the way he closed out his ministry. In a blaze of glory, God swept down, carried him into heaven in a whirlwind and a chariot of fire. That's a pretty good way to end your ministry. Brad, how'd you like to end your ministry that way, brother? The guy says, okay, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Remember the fire fell from Mount Carmel? Remember the fire fell when he was in that dark cave? He couldn't imagine that God would ever use him again. He couldn't imagine what God might have in store for him. He had no clue what God still yet wanted to do through him. And at the end of his life, God swept him up in a blaze of glory. He said, come on home. You see, here's what I, I want to close with this. You might feel like your life is at the end. You might feel like you've come to the end and you've got nothing left. And you might just be at the beginning of what God can do. He can pick up the broken pieces. He can lift you out of the fog of depression. And he can still say, now, I've got something I want you to do. Let's pray together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Before we pray, I want to talk to you for just a moment. I want to make sure that you understand two things. First of all, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ... Being a believer does not guarantee that you're never going to be depressed, but it does give you a resource unlike anything else in this world. And so if you have trusted Christ and you need prayer, we're here to pray with you. Or if you want to come and get on the altar, you can certainly do that. Maybe you want to come and pray for a family member, as they did in the first service, praying for a family member who's struggling with depression. You can do that. Just come to this altar today and, and, and do that. 
But if you're here today and maybe struggling with the darkness of depression and you don't yet know God personally, the place you need to start is by establishing a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The Bible calls it being born again. Born again, that is that God does a work in you that is so amazing. It's as if you were born a second time. You get a fresh start. And again, it doesn't automatically cure your depression, but without Christ in your life, you really have no power to change. You're left to your own devices. You're left to your own resources. You're left to your own strength. And that's not working very well, is it? But when Jesus lives in you, you have the power to change. He wants to be a vital part of your life. And if you'll give Him control, He'll help you. So today, you can ask Jesus for a new purpose and a new beginning, a new life. If you don't know God, you can say something like this in prayer. Dear God, you can just pray this silently with me. Dear God, I know that I need you. I believe you died on the cross for me, for my sin. So today, I just surrender my life to you. I repent. I turn away from my sinful life. I turn away from my sinful past. And I'm turning to you and trusting in you as my Lord, as my Savior. I bring to you all that I am, and I ask you to have control of all of me. And I promise to live my life for you. In Jesus' name.